With that said, I should probably get started because I am so excited about teaching my favorite book because in Hebrews, we are going to be seeing here in chapter three where we left off and we'll be picking right back up where we left off. I want you to make sure you understand what the writer to the Hebrews has to say then, but also the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and I today. If you notice and if you're with us in Hebrews chapter 2, remember there are no breaks. There's no chapter breaks in the original uh, writing. So it was a continuous letter here. And you'll notice here in chapter 3 there is a therefore, which means therefore from based on what? Which is the previous verses. And it will pick up here in verses 17 and 18 that all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins or reconciliation or atonement for the sins of the people. That means you and I. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And you, I told you last week how critical that is for every single one of us to know when you are tempted, Jesus is right there ready and has your back just call upon his name he will come and he will aid you from falling into sin he will aid you he'll give you a way of escape he'll give you the strength he'll remind you of his promises and his love for you and that the sin does not trump him it doesn't in no way compares to the benefit you have in following Jesus which brings us to chapter 3 and Father we lift up your word this morning and as we get into your word I pray as the Holy Spirit moves you will touch the hearts of the men and women and and young adults and even young children Lord who will be listening that it would just speak to their hearts as only the way you can do and just encourage us change us mold us shape us convict us bring us to our knees of repentance and lift us our souls up in rejoicing and joy that we have and gladness that we have in you. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first chapters of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews argued that although for a season... Jesus is made lower than the angels in order to relate to us as man and woman, as to relate to through through his us dying for us as well. In reality, his superiority was very clearly outlined over the angels and that they should not, as the Hebrews, should not be going and worshiping angels. Yet some would say, yes, Jesus is definitely greater than angels, but what about Moses? What a great man of God that he, God has used him in the life of the nation of Israel. Now he is really important to us in our walk of faith. But he can't be greater than the great, uh, you know, Moses might be a great law giver. And a communicator and a servant of God, but he does not compare to the great Savior of Jesus Christ. 
Keep in mind, in the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who had come out of the Hebrew or the Jewish culture. And they were believers in Christ, no question. They were converted to Christ, no question. They were recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, no question. But, as the years go by in their walk in this new faith in Jesus Christ, these believers in Christ, these years are starting to pass by and these Hebrew Christians are living in a culture that is drawing them back into Judaism, back into religiosity, back into the old traditions. And after all, there in Jerusalem, they were staring at the temple every day. They were hearing the trumpets play every day. They could smell the incense coming from the temple every day. They watched their friends and their families who have casted them away because they chose to follow Jesus as they were walking to the temple, going back to the traditional ways, back to these things. They were experiencing this every day in their lives and they're watching this all around them. Their old friends, family, were going over there to the temple. And all of this pull of tradition, all of this nostalgia, all of these friends and family and memories are very strong for many who come out of the religiosity, out of false teachings, out of the false churches that are not teaching the scriptures. And they get pulled back because they watch day in and day out of their lives, watching others that were friends and families and co-workers. They're, they're going back to old ways. But the writer to the Hebrews says, don't go back. We saw a warning already, don't don't drift away from this, this, the anchor that you have in Jesus Christ. Even though it's tempting, even though traditions have a very powerful pull on your mind and, and bringing you back to when grandmother took you to the, the, uh, that old church. The powerful pull... The writer tells the Hebrews and the Holy Spirit tells us today the foundation is keep it basic. Be foundational. Keep a focus. Keep it simple. It is about Jesus and Jesus alone. There's nothing more. There is nothing less. There is nothing else. It's all about Jesus and our faith. And that is why in chapter 3 he says, the writer says to the Hebrews, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He starts very clear message for you and for I today. Is that he's calling therefore from the previous chapter, we are left with the picture of Jesus as our heavenly faithful high priest we see in verse 17 and since this is true it teaches something to you and to me today understand we are in light of who Jesus is what he has done is essential for our Christian health life to have a healthy Christian life we must understand who Jesus is and he is faithful to us without a question, without a doubt. 
And if you don't have that assurance, you're not going to have that healthy Christian life. You're going to be on a roller coaster that will cause you to be doing some flips and turns on some of these rides. It keeps us from the same depths of discouragement that these Hebrew Christians were facing in these times. Because if you take your eyes off of Jesus and look back and you turn back and go back to traditions, go back to things that are not biblical, it will cause tremendous discouragement. And you might even think about, if I drift away, I'm not even really thinking I need to have anything to do with religion. I'm saved. I don't need to have to go and do anything. I'm just going to go back to my life and kind of blend in the rest of the world. I really do miss my old friends. I think things weren't as bad as I thought they were when I was living in the depths of my sin. Oh no, don't be fooled, my brothers and sisters. You were messed up and don't think it gets better going back. It gets worse. And so the Hebrew writer here is saying, don't be discouraged, be encouraged because your faith is based on Jesus Christ. He is faithful. And he calls the writer, to the people here to include him, holy brethren. This is who we are in Jesus. We're holy brothers. We're holy sisters. Believe it or not, regardless of how you feel, that's who we are because of our heavenly and our holy high priest is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters we saw back in chapter 2 verse 11. And it should bless and encourage us that Jesus wants to call you brother, wants to call you a sister. And and we should be encouraged by that and following our Savior. Holy brethren could not be applied to the people in the family, only to apply only to the people in the family of God. Being a holy brother does not apply to a non-believer. It doesn't apply to someone who does not follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They may say they're a Christian. That doesn't make them holy brethren. That doesn't make them a a sister in Christ, holy sisters. This only applies to you and I who put Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are set apart by the grace of God. The writer here. We're referring to people in the church, the body of Christ. And it is clear by those, and he's using his language here, he says, partakers of the heavenly calling. Because Jesus is committed to bringing many sons and daughters to glory. We saw that back in chapter 2, verse 10. We are partners in his heavenly calling. Did you know that? When you came as a believer, God gave you a heavenly calling in your life. You have to understand the Father's will. The Father's will, one of the top things is that all should be saved. That no one should perish. That all would come to the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is as our Lord and Savior. And once you're saved, the Father then has His will, does not stop there. He says, now I want to use you as a vessel, as a servant, to go out and reach the lost. That is the will of God of the Father for you. And everything you spend your time on, your money on, your, where you go and what you spend time with, is, has to have the purpose of reaching the lost if you want to be in the will of God. 
That must be always at the forefront of always looking for God opening doors to share the good news of what he has done in your life. Is it? Does that dominate your mind as you go to the stores or the choose the vacations or where you live or what you spend your money and time on? Is reaching those that are lost? It should be. It should be your top number one priority in your life as a believer. Why? Because you've been saved. How could you not want everyone else you come across to be saved? How could you not? You have a joyful, incredible future ahead of you in heaven in the presence of a God Almighty. How could you not want to have that for everybody? Especially as we watch people suffering with drugs and alcohol and consumed by the things of this world. It's a mess out there. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe you're just, you know, everything's so perfect around your little life. But I'm telling you, the world is coming unglued. And they need to hear the good news so they don't become unglued. So we're called holy brethren. We're called partakers of the heavenly calling. God has a purpose and a plan. No unconverted Jew or Gentile could ever claim this blessing. That you have a heavenly calling. Only you that are born again are content. No, that you have a heavenly calling. That is amazing to me that God would want to even use you and me for his purpose and for his glory. True Christians not only share in the heavenly calling, but they're also sharing in Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we see in Ephesians 5.30 that we are members of His body and of His flesh and of His bones. Did you know that? True believers are also partakers of the Holy Spirit. We will see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. And in Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit that lives within you to be, to be consider a Christian and be born again and be a part of the body of Christ. And if you're not saved today, I pray the Holy Spirit is moving right now and you are hearing the knocking at the heart of your heart and saying to let him in, to bring him into your life and to save you and be regenerated. Because we are God's children, we see also in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, we are also partake of God's loving chastening. It's hard to say it because people don't like to hear this as a Christian, but if you're a child of God, then your heavenly Father will chasten you. It's no question about it. And if you are not experiencing chastening, it's evidence that you are not a person of God's children. Because as a child of God, you will be chastened by if we do things or think things or say things that go contrary to the word of God. He is going to chasten you and I. Well, I've never been chastened by God. Then I question you need to look at your salvation. Because the scripture is clear, Hebrews 12, 8. The writer here says, consider the apostle. It's a capital A, it should be a capital A in your Bible. 
We don't often apply this word to Jesus, an apostle, but the Greek, ancient Greek word here translates apostle and means ambassador. And no question are, and no question whatsoever that Jesus is the Father's ultimate ambassador. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God the Father had to send a very important message, a message of love for you and I, to all of those who had no relationship with Him. And He did that by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, with, as the messenger, as the ambassador. The message was clear. It says here, consider that God loves you so much He sent an ultimate messenger of Christ Jesus. Consider how important it is for you to pay attention to God's ultimate apostle who is Christ Jesus. Why is the writer saying this to the Hebrews? Because you have to understand the pull is to bring them back into Judaism. So the Jew, those who are in the fringes out there are saying to those believers nonstop, inside and out in Jerusalem and all over, you really need to come back to the the uh, uh, prophet of, of, of Moses. You need to come back to those prophets of old. You must go back and, and look at these men that God has used through the centuries in these years. You need to listen to these people. And the writer is saying to the Hebrews, no, 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 no. Don't go be looking at Moses. He's a great man. God used him in a mighty way, but he's not superior to Jesus. He's not, angels were, God's using angels for the being a messenger, but they're not superior to Jesus. But that is so true for us today. How many people get wrapped up in going, I want to go back into the 1800s and 1700s and 1500s and listen to all these old saints that God has used and revivals and all these things. But let me tell you, my brothers and sisters today, if you find the man that God used as a servant is more superior than Jesus himself, you are just like these Hebrews that are being pulled back into Judaism. Don't be focused on the old saints that God used as a vessel. Don't look at the teachers of the teaching of the Word of God and put them somehow more superior or higher priority in what they say than what Jesus says in the Word of God. Do not get confused, let alone just drifting into these other things of traditions and all of these other men and women that are out there that are from the old days or even current days. You must stay focused on your relationship with Jesus. You must stay in the Word of God. He is the Word. And if you deviate from your priorities from that, you are drifting, my brothers and sisters. It's a warning to you. Are you with me? Hello? Are you with me? I can't emphasize enough because I'm hearing more and more and more today of people looking for traditions and going back to the old saints like they somehow are more important than their Savior, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. They will not be. They were men who 
feared Jesus, feared God, reverenced him, and they taught the word of God. We see here the writer speaks. God still is, is choosing, you know, he chose, you know, brought Jesus as this great ambassador, this apostle, the apostle to be representative. And if you remember, God then brought Jesus to then touch the lives of 12 great apostles that changed the world. That office is no longer, but God still comes in and raises up ambassadors, you and I, to share the good news, to represent Jesus, to share what God's word says. We are ambassadors. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Then the writer continues here and he brings back in that considering the high priest not only the apostle that was an ambassador of the father But he was also the high priest. Jesus is the one who supremely represents us before the Father. And who represents the Father to us. God cares for us so much that he put the ultimate mediator between man and God. The ultimate high priest between himself and sinful man. We see in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there is no one to be in between you and God. But Jesus. And don't forget that because the message the writer is writing here is that consider that God loves you so much that to give you such a great high priest in Christ Jesus to represent you to God the Father, but also the Father to you. And and how critical that is that you understand that in your walk with Christ. Moses was a prophet who had on occasion served as a priest He was never a high priest. He was a priest. He occasionally had to fill that role. It was his brother Aaron who was the high priest that God called to that position. So God, so the people here say, you know, you really need to focus on Moses and Aaron because, you know, he represented a messenger as like an apostle or as a priest occasionally. But, but Aaron was a high priest and we should bring them back into the fold and bring them up and, and we should pay attention to these, 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 these godly men. And the Hebrew writers say, no, 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 no. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He fulfilled the law. He's fulfilling everything. He fulfilled everything. It's, everything's finished. Keep your eyes on Jesus and not the saints. And our confession is not who Moses is. Our confession is not who Aaron is as a high priest. It's not only any old, old saint that God used. Our confession is Jesus Christ is our ambassador and our mediator of our confession. Christianity is a confession made both with our mouth and our life. How do we know that? Well, Matthew 10, 32 makes it clear. Therefore, whoever confesses me before man, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So if you're not willing to confess who Jesus Christ is in your life, then don't expect he's confessing you in front of the Father. We also see in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
What happens if you don't do that? You've never done that. Then don't expect that you think you're saved. Because the scripture is very clear. Are you willing to confess with your own mouth and your own life that Jesus is the Messiah? That he died for your sins and has set you free. He give you eternal life. Oh, please, my brothers and sisters, if you're here or listening online, don't harden your heart to the message of what God has for you today. If you're not saved, today's the day of your salvation. Give your life over. Confess your sins and he will forgive you. Moses was primarily the prophet of law. While Jesus Christ is the messenger of God's grace and truth, we see that in John chapter 1, verse 17. Now in verse 2, we see here, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So consider Jesus is faithful in his duties before his heavenly Father. The Father sent him to do a very specific mission and he is going to be faithful to do that work. And we see here, who was faithful to him, the Heavenly Father, who appointed him, Jesus, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. So the writer to the Hebrews is not noting that Jesus, you know, he's basically noting both Moses and Jesus Christ were both faithful in the work that God called them to do. So the writer's not calling him Moses out as not being a faithful servant. He was. But Moses was not sinless. But Jesus Christ was sinless. But he was faithful. He obeyed God's word. We see that clearly noted in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7. But this would be an encouragement to those in the first century Jewish believers that were struggling with this relationship with Jesus, this Christianity, and not going back to Judaism. So these words are encouraging to these believers in the first century, saying Jesus is faithful. He has not left you. He is never going to leave you. He is, he is with you. And don't go back and put your focus on Moses or back on Aaron or back on any of these other people. Keep your eyes on Jesus regardless of what everyone else is doing. That's what the writer is saying here. They're encouraging them because in the midst of these trials and tribulations that they were experiencing, just like we do today, because many people are trying to go back to things that take them away from the Word of God. The world is creeped into the churches and have taken people away from the Word of God, away from Jesus Christ. But Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to his father to do exactly what the father sent him to do. And he is not going to deviate from that. It makes us understand that he will continue to be faithful to you and I all the way into eternity. And as he was faithful to God the father who appointed him to come, he will be faithful to us. And that should bless us and that should encourage us as we continue to walk and keep our eyes on Jesus through all the trials and tribulations. Yes, Moses was faithful. 
Yes, Moses was obedient. Moses showed an amazing faithfulness in his ministry as we look through this. But Jesus showed a perfect faithfulness, surprising even that of Moses. You know, the writer's trying to get a point across so many times to us as we will go through these Hebrews, uh, through the letter of Hebrew. But you have to keep it understanding, right? So, So can you imagine having a conversation with Moses right now? Moses, how did you bring two to three million people out of Egypt? I have no idea how that happened. God did it. I just, I, he said to go and people just started following. How did, you, how did you part the Red Sea? I didn't part the Red Sea. All I know is he told me to take the stick and stick it in the water and it parted. I have no idea how all that happened. Now how did you logistically... Take two to three million people. How did you feed them every single day? I have no idea. This stuff, this bread called manna came flying out of the sky six days a week. I have no clue what happened. How did you get all the water, the the tons of water? How did that rock follow you? I have no idea except God did it. And I just watched it happen. I just it was obedient when God told me to do something. How did you keep them safe through all and all the clothes that didn't wear out in 40 years in the, in the wilderness? I have no, no idea. We were sharing and swapping and nothing was wearing out. And it took care of all the people's needs of clothes on their back. Moses had, did not do anything. He was just... They're leading the people and doing what God called them to do, but he did nothing. God did it all. But our Savior, Jesus, when he came here, who, who, who cleansed the leper? Our Savior. Who fixed that withered hand on the man in the temple? Our Savior. Who calmed the seas when it was in turmoil with the disciples on the lake? Jesus did that. Who walked on the water? Who allowed Peter to walk under the water? Jesus did. Do you see the difference why Jesus is superior? It's he does the work. Moses didn't do any of the work. And that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to the people. Don't be deceived and don't take your eyes off the Savior who does it. Who is faithful. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. Don't take your eyes off him. Never again. And watch him take you into eternity. And use you even into the millennial age. Do we deserve it? Can you earn it? Can you do anything for it? Absolutely nothing. It's only by the grace of God. Now we see in verse 3. For this one has become counted worthy of more glory than Moses. See, Moses received much glory from God. Remember, he, his face shined unbelievably after spending time with God. We see that in Exodus 34. He was justification before Miriam and Aaron. We see that in Numbers 12. 
Do you remember the Korah incident and that God before the sons of Korah and how God had to take care of Korah and bring, raise Moses up? That was in Numbers 16. But the one, the Hebrew writer here says, but the one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses did. Jesus received far more glory from the Father at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Or at his transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. Or in his resurrection in Acts 2. Far greater glory by the Father than Moses. Even at the, the last part of three, even as much as he who built the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son, not a servant, notice here in verse 5, Moses was a servant, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm to the end. We see the word house noted six times. The house is a reference to the people of God, not a material building. And so when we read these verses, understand he's talking about the people. Moses ministered to Israel, the people of God under the old covenant. Jesus, now as Christ, ministers to his church, the people of God under the new covenant. And that's why he says, and as much as he who built the house has more honor than the house, Moses was a member. He was a servant of the household of God. God used him as a servant, as part of God's people. And Jesus is the creator of the house itself. Two different people. That's why Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses was a servant within the people of God. Jesus was the Son of God. And he ministered and, and uh, led God's people, his people. Many times we find in the ancient rabbis considered Moses to be greater, a greatest man ever. Greater than the angels. The writer of the Hebrews does nothing to criticize Moses whatsoever. But he looks at Moses in his proper relationship to Jesus. Moses was a servant and Jesus is the son. Moses was never called, obviously, the son. But Moses was a faithful servant. He was never out there in, in very few occasions where his faith may have been weakened at times. But can you imagine you go, the things that he had to deal with for the very first time and never have heard before? Can you imagine the testing of his faith? We have the, the blessing of watching and reading through the word of God and say, there's absolutely nothing that God can't do today that will shock me because I know what the word of God says and God's capable of doing anything. But Moses didn't have that. They didn't have the word of God. They did have the word of God, I should say. But they've learned from Abraham. They, lived, they learned from Abram and, and the descendants of what God has done. That's all they had. They didn't have in written format. 
but only hearing what God had done over through the very beginning of time. But the writer here says, whose house we are in, we must hold fast the competence. We must hold to the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. We are part of Jesus' household. That's what it's referring to there. Whose house we are. We are part of the body of Christ. It says, yes, if we hold fast to the confidence. What that is saying here is those who are saved, it will be evident of their confidence and continuing to be headstand, hold fast with that confidence in Jesus Christ. You will not be shaken. If you're truly a born-again believer, you will not be shaken from that relationship you have with the Son. True commitment to Jesus is demonstrated over a long-term period. Not just as an initial emotional burst for Jesus, but we trust that in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We also see in 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, as he, as he is building up a spiritual house. That is who we are, a spiritual house. God has a work to build through his people. Even in, as one might build a house, God says, I want to take you and I want to build my spiritual house, which is the body of Christ, and I will use you in the body to build that up spiritually. He wants to work through your life to touch the lives of those around you. And those who have trusted Christ prove their confession by their steadfastness in following Jesus their confidence in who Jesus is to them, and their joyful hope that comes of eternal, of eternal hope that God has given them. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're talking to someone? The Spirit of God is going to show you there's a confidence in Jesus. There is a joy for the following Jesus. There is a steadfastness in following Jesus. Those are the indications. Those are characteristics of a child of God. And they are not burdened. As a Christian, you're not burdened by your past. You're no longer threatened by the presence and you're no longer confused of what's going to happen in the future because you're so grounded in who Jesus is and what His Word says. And that brings that blessing of hope that comes knowing that our Lord and Savior is coming back for us. As a child of God, it dominates my mind, and I hope it's dominating your mind every day. Lord, perhaps today you're coming back. But if not, let me be faithful and pleasing to you in everything you've heavenly calling you have in my life to reach this community, to reach my family, to raise my children in a godly way. God, help me in your strength to do that work. Anything else has no value compared to doing the Father's will, just like Jesus did the Father's will. It is this heavenly calling that motivates the believers to keep on living for the Savior even when things are really tough and very uncertain. 
Keep your eyes on the Lord. The wandering of Israel in the uh, wilderness is a major topic for this section of Hebrews. Two men in the nation. You remember their names, Joshua and Caleb. They illustrate this exact attitude that we read here in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. Everyone else in Israel over the age of 20 was to die in the wilderness and never enter the promised land. We see that in Numbers chapter 14. But Joshua and Caleb believed God and God honored their faith. Even though they couldn't, everyone else was going against them. They were the only two that they could see the promised land and knew that God was serious and was going to take them there. But everyone else would not believe. So God said no one would go into the promised land that was 20 or older. Except for Joshua and Caleb who believed. For 40 years... Joshua and Caleb watched their friends and relatives die one by one by one by one. But those two men of faith had confidence in God's word and they would one day enter Canaan. They knew they were going into the promised land. Why? Because they trusted God's word and not what was happening around them as they watched their loved ones die, their friends die, because of their unbelief. While others were experiencing sorrow and death, Joshua and Caleb was rejoicing in what we see here in Hebrews 3.6, a confident hope. And as believers today, we know that God is taking us to heaven No question if you're a believer. And we should reveal the same kind of confident, joyful hope in our lives. And it should be evident in our lives because we have such confidence in our Savior. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. Remember, Jesus came to earth to do the will of the Father. And it was the Father's will to save you and to save me. And it's the will of the Father that He uses you and I to go out and reach those in and around us so that they can be saved. That is the Father's will for you and I. Biblical Christianity is not about us. It's not about you. It is not based on what you do or you don't do. It's not based on if you're good or bad today. It's not based upon your obedience or disobedience today. It is about Jesus' faithfulness to His Father and continuing to do what God's, His Father said to do. And if He started a new work in you, a good work in you, He will be faithful to complete that work in you. John 17, 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you hear that verse? My question for you today, and we'll close here. 
What if we really believe that the Father loves us just as much as he loves Jesus, his son? Have you pondered on that ever before? That the heavenly Father loves you as much as his son, Jesus. If you ponder on that, and if you really believe that, we would pray with such confidence. We wouldn't have to prove anything to him or to ourselves. We would be at such peace that would fill our lives of the assurance of the love of the Father that he has for you. That we would pray more. That we would study his word more to know him in a deeper way. We would worship more. We would share the gospel more. Not to earn the big stars for your refrigerator. Not to get notoriety, notoriety in front of others. Not so you can get that nice spiritual brownie points. But you do it because you enjoy your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Your Abba Father. That never closes His office door to you. You can boldly come into the throne of God and cry out, Abba, Father, I am in need. I am hurting. I'm lost. I'm confused. Everything seems to be falling apart. I'm tempted to the left. I'm tempted to the right. And God looks at his son, Jesus, and Jesus says, send me. I will go and I am going to intercede and help. The Holy Spirit comes with power to help you. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. It's not because you came to church. It's not because you checklist and did your little religiosity kinds of things. It's about a personal relationship and a communion with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit Himself. And when you get to that point in your relationship, the peace and the joy, the confident hope of the future will, not, will be so great for you. Why? Because he's going to reveal his heavenly calling that he has for you. He's going to give you spiritual gifts that will be exercised through you, that will touch the lives of people around you. Do you want that kind of Christian life? Oh, I hope you do. Because that's what God wants for you. And as a pastor, that I, that's what I want for you if you haven't experienced. I hope you've experienced our great apostle, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. No matter how many times we do, no how many times we fail 
to do what you know God's called you to do. Because his ministry to his Father, Jesus is faithful to bring us back around and back on track. He is faithful, is he not?